We are about to discuss female body parts and the circle of life as they relate to ways the female humans nourish their young. We do not feel that this week's adventure is overly graphic, but if any of it will spark a conversation with little ears that you are not ready to have, consider putting on a pair of earmuffs or playing very loud music during the rest of this episode. We're pregnant. Bro, do you even live? I can't eat another one bite. One is usually bigger than the other. It tastes awful. This won't hurt a Wait, bit. Why is it leaking? Did you Whoa. hear that? That's that smell. was not there yesterday. I'll have a second of it. It's totally my natural hair color. Is that supposed to look like that? Don't worry. That was solid. Deadly. I'm Terrell. And I'm Iris. Welcome to Health Science for the Rest of Us, a podcast where we take a super practical look at the body its shenanigans, and the world of fascinating ways we try and keep it healthy. This definitely won't replace a trip to your doctor's office, but it may help you make heads or tails of how to live in your body better. More important than that, this podcast will help you look like a total badass at your next Facebook debate. You did it again. We can edit that later. Let's Let's do do this. this. Before we get started, we need to tell you something important about the way you listen to this podcast. Because a bunch of you still listen to this podcast through SoundCloud.com or through SoundCloud's mobile app. At the time of this recording, SoundCloud is going through a pretty major shakeup. So, in order to keep our episodes streaming smoothly, we're getting ready to move the podcast feed from SoundCloud to Blueberry. If you listen to this podcast through iTunes or Google Play or pretty much anywhere other than SoundCloud, you won't notice a change at all. For you, it will be like nothing ever happened, but... If you only play the podcast through SoundCloud.com or through the SoundCloud app, please know that that option will be going away soon. It won't be tomorrow, but it will be soon. This week, we started posting updates about this move on our Twitter feed. But since not everyone uses Twitter, we also now have a Facebook page where you can see the updates and also funny health memes and videos. To follow our new Facebook page, just go to your Facebook like you normally would and search for health science for the rest of us. You should be able to find us pretty easily, but if you have any problems, You can also write to us at info at healthscienceforeveryone.com. And now for the main course. For this week's adventure, special co-hosts William and Faith joined us to talk about breast milk and to explore some of the chemistry, inventions, historical events, and legal actions that have affected how we deliver nutrition to the mouths of babes. Right away, you may notice that I kinda messed up the channel splitter again, but in my defense, 
Siri wasn't there to help me this week and I haven't made a mistake like this in a good 10 or 11 episodes, so I think I've had a pretty good run. At any rate, as a result of this oversight, there will be sections of the recording this week that have a bit of an echo. I cleaned this up as best as I could and I think you'll still enjoy the conversation. So without further delay, let's get into it. <laughs> okay, we're gonna try it. Here we are, we're talking about breast milk and you all are my special co-hosts today. So we'll have you just each introduce yourselves one at a time. I am Faith. And? Oh, I don't know what to say about myself other than I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm here because of you guys, so don't know what else to say. Okay, and we also have uh, I am William H., the all-time great, uh, and I am uh, just here to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is uh, the milk of magnesia. I'm going to have to edit that. That's not strictly scientifically accurate, but we're going to keep going. You are, don't elaborate. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. We're just going to... Great. Thank you for having me. All right, so we have Faith and William H. Am I to call you William H. throughout the entire episode today? Ooh, that that does sound quite awesome. But no, you can just call me Will. <laughs> should should we also tell people that you two are a couple? Yes. <laughs> they may have figured it out by now, but okay, we're gonna rock and roll here. So, breast milk. What is it? Excellent question. I'm glad I asked. Well, basically, when we talk about breast milk, we're talking about a body fluid that's made by mammals, and the mammals use that to feed their babies. It's basically the main source of nutrition for the babies during the first stage of life. Um, but human breast milk is special. Can either of you guess any reasons why human breast milk would be special compared to other mammals' breast milk? Because it's delicious. Okay, so that... Okay, any other reasons? <laughs> no, I cannot guess. <laughs> the reason human breast milk is special is because it is the most complex breast milk of any mammal on the planet. So suck it, dairy cows. Um, the human breast milk has 200 or more different kinds of sugar. Other mammals' breast milk only has maybe on average, like a mouse or a cow, 30 to 50 different types of sugar. But our breast milk has over 200 kinds, and we don't even know what they all do. But we think that they play a big role in helping the baby to create its gut bacteria colonies. Because when the baby's born, the baby doesn't really have its own gut bacteria colonies yet. And we think that all these different kinds of sugars help the baby to grow that. And that's important because you need those gut bacteria colonies 
in order to not die. Uh, this one is not for you, William H., because I have a feeling you're going to give R-rated answers. But if you had to guess where breast milk comes from, not you. This one's for Faith. Because she said we should not be talking about breast milk on a Sunday. <laughs> uh, only because of his already comments on Saturday. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll just fill that in there. The breast milk comes from breasts. And uh, women usually have breasts. But the breasts don't usually make milk until the woman becomes pregnant. So you can have breasts and never ever have milk. If you've never been pregnant before, your body probably won't be making much in the way of breast milk. But once you get pregnant, once you're in about the last two months of pregnancy, that's when the milk starts to be prepared so that when the baby comes, you can start to nurse the baby with the breast milk. And once you start nursing, your breasts will keep making breast milk until you stop nursing. Usually people stop nursing gradually, but within a few weeks or a few months after the person stops nursing, then the breasts will usually stop making the breast milk. So if you had to guess three things that are in breast milk, well, maybe four things, two for each of you, what would you guess breast milk has in it? Uh, I would guess ambrosia and um, probably a little bit of um, uh, sugary sweetness. So I'm going to go with. Okay. Faith, what, what are you two protein you said? Yeah, and uh, I don't know what else. I know protein, and probably I know sometimes there are secretions in the milk. What in the milk? Like secretions, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, I know there's protein, but you're talking about just the milk itself. Yeah. I think protein. Okay. So, what if I told you that the ingredients in the breast milk actually change over time as the baby grows? That would be cool. It would be cool. And it would make sense why it's so healthy to, to breastfeed for a long amount of time. Yeah, well, we're going to get to that. But uh, in terms of what's in the breast milk, it does change as the baby grows. So the first few days after the baby comes, the breast milk is really, it's practically just sugar water. There's not much else in it. It's got some potassium and some calcium. It's got a lot of sugar. And it has the antibodies to help the baby develop its immune system. But in terms of what we would recognize as milk, that doesn't come in until a few days later. So later in the first week after the baby comes, that's when the milk starts to look more like what we would think of as milk. And the milk is, is said to be mature at that stage. And by that time, there's a lot more lactose in the milk and um, it changes again about a month later. And at that time, the milk is considered fully mature. And so the antibodies are not there in the same levels anymore once that first month or so rolls around. In fact, 
the antibodies drop by almost 90% because at this time the baby is supposed to be making its own antibodies. Um, but the breast milk after about a month or so also has a lot fewer types of sugar. It has way more fat and protein, two points for faith, and vitamins and nutrients and no ambrosia. Sorry, William H. <laughs> Uh, the other thing the breast milk has when it's fully mature is hundreds of thousands of kinds of other bioactive molecules. And those are just molecules that your body uses for its functions. Most of them, when they're in the milk, are there to help the baby develop and to help prevent infections so the baby won't get sick, hopefully. Does that sound about like what y'all were thinking besides the ambrosia? Ambrosia doesn't count. Uh, it sounds about what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Well, ambrosia technically grants you immortality, so it's kind of the same thing. Right? Sort of? No? Right. No point. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I guess there are ways perhaps ambrosia could wind up in breast milk. In terms of what's actually in the breast milk, uh, there are a bunch of factors that actually affect what's in there. Some of them the mother can control and some of them the mother cannot control. So some of the factors are things like diet, um, weight, whether the baby came early, whether the baby came late, how often the mother nurses, whether the mother's period has come back yet. So, you know, for the things that are beyond the mother's control, we just sort of have to try our best to keep an eye on that stuff. But there are things that, that moms can do to sort of make sure they're keeping healthy and trying to have good, healthy milk for the baby. All the babies. What, what aspect of diet affects the milk? I'm gonna get to that later too. But one of the things in the diet that affects the milk is booze. So alcohol can be passed to the baby through the milk. Um, well, the things that you eat get passed to the baby in the milk. So if you eat a lot of junk food, then your baby is essentially eating a lot of junk food because that's what you pass through your milk to the baby. You can also pass certain diseases to the baby through the breast milk. I think hepatitis can be passed to the baby through the breast milk. Um, yeah, HIV can be passed to the baby through the breast milk. So if you're not careful, there are ways that you can pass harmful things to the baby through the breast milk. Does that sound like what you were, what you were thinking? Told him all of these things yesterday. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, thank you for confirming. <laughs> I'm getting the feeling that was okay. Did you two have a prior conversation about breast milk before this started? I feel like there's some inside jokes happening here. Fortunately, yesterday I told him exactly what you just said. That you know the the breast milk is good, but there are things in breast milk that sometimes they discourage certain mothers that they you know doctors always check people out and give great advice or not so great advice depending on what information the patient provides. Mm -hmm. So if someone has hepatitis or HIV in their breastfeeding, 
they haven't been screened properly or they don't know, there's a risk of passing that to the baby. So I explained that to him yesterday. And what did he, he say? About ambrosia. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, William H. William H., do you want to say anything to that before we move on? No, she's right. That's that's precisely what happened. We oh. were having a conversation about the uh, nutritional value of breast milk, and she pointed out the uh, possibility of spreading both hepatitis and HIV through breast milk, and thus that is why adults should not consume random breast milks. You two talked about those exact diseases? Yes. Yes. Because I don't know if you know, there used to be a website where um, mothers that were lactating could sell their breast milk online. Oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Before we get to that, uh, we talked about how complex breast milk is, and we talked about some of the um, some of the ingredients that are supposed to be in there. And we sort of touched on whether it makes sense or whether it's appropriate for adults to drink breast milk. What if I told you that there are scientists who are studying components of the breast milk in order to develop medications? I would I say I'm interested. <laughs> it's not for sale, if that's what you were thinking. There are labs that are looking at different components in the breast milk to try and make medications. One of them is called lactoferrin, and it's in the breast milk to help the babies develop their immune systems. But if we can figure out how to use it to make medication, it may help us prevent infections in preterm babies. So that's something to think about. There are other kinds of studies going on too. Um, some of them involve things like looking at how freezing and thawing and warming affect the overall quality of the breast milk because anytime you cook something or freeze something it changes the nutrition and so we're trying to figure out better ways that we can store the breast milk so that we don't lose nutrients but we probably agree breast milk is pretty impressive especially human breast milk you've probably heard if you watch the news or if you two see things on the internet it seems like one of the biggest news stories around breast milk these days is that women choose not to nurse their babies. And if that's all you see in the news, it would seem like that's this big new thing that moms are choosing not to breastfeed. But if you look back through history, it's always been true around the world that there have been examples of women not breastfeeding their own babies. But if you go way, 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 way back, the main reason a woman wouldn't breastfeed her own baby is because maybe she was too sick or she couldn't make milk or sometimes the moms would die, the babies would be orphans and so there wasn't a way for the moms to breastfeed their own babies or to, to give breast milk to their own babies. So in some parts of the world, especially 18th century Europe, we have evidence of animals being bred so that the babies could drink the animal's milk. So how do you think that turned out? <laughs> Not all that great. If it's um, Europe in the 18th century. Well, I assume it turned out pretty much exactly like you'd expect. 
bunch of malnourished babies. Oh, it was worse. So we, we pretty much figured out the hard way that babies cannot survive on animal's milk. Usually it was cow's milk or goat's milk, but the babies would get really sick. They'd get wicked diarrhea. They would die. It was not pretty. It didn't go well. So the more effective option that we see throughout history and throughout the world was to use wet nurses. William H., you look like you want to say something about wet nurses. You don't want to hear it, I promise you. (laughs) You don't want to hear it. All I was going to say is, where do I find one of those? Uh, if it's purposes? if it's 2000 BC, you would find an enslaved woman, and she would just be forced to nurse your your babies. Unfortunately, in history, there have been times around the world where that was essentially what the wet nurse was. The wet nurse was an enslaved person who nursed your baby for you. But that that has not always been the case. Much more often than that. Wet nurses were like professionals. They got paid to nurse other people's babies. It was a lucrative way to make a living. This was all these women did for their income. They just nursed people's babies. And it got to a point where it became a really organized profession in a lot lot of parts of the world. The wet nurses had to have a license. They had to register with their community. Everyone knew who the wet nurses were, and this was just their business. This is what they did for money. But it was a little weird the way this went down in Europe. So does that mean they had to stay perpetually pregnant? Well, you have to be pregnant the first time in order to start making the milk. But after that, your body will keep making the milk until you stop nursing. So you don't have to be pregnant all the time, but you do have to be nursing regularly if you want the milk to keep coming. Because once you stop, the milk will stop. In the 16th century, things got weird in Europe. At that time, uh, it was not uncommon for people to just hire a wet nurse the same way that you would hire a nanny or a babysitter. It was just a thing that people who had the money would do. Uh, And part of that was because at that time, those people believed things like if you nurse your own baby, you won't be able to have as many children over your lifetime. Uh, People thought that if you did nighttime activities with your partner while you were nursing, that that would cause the milk to be tainted. And so people would use the wet nurse because they thought maybe their own milk was tainted. Some people had concerns that their boobs would change, that their bodies would become less attractive if they nursed their babies. I guess they... Here's a question. Yeah. Then that assumes that your wet nurse was also not engaging in nighttime activities. This was the 16th century, so I think that speaks volumes to the logic that people were using. Uh, because that was the first thing I thought. The second thing I thought was, you're concerned that your body will change from nursing as if those changes would be any more dramatic than the changes that happened as a result of you being with child and squeezing one out of a very small opening into the world. There are more dramatic things, I think, to think about with changes that happen to your body as a result of bringing life into the world 
but this was the 16th century, so maybe we'll give them a pass, especially when we consider some of the reasons were a little bit more logical. For one thing, it was considered the upper class thing to do to hire a wet nurse as opposed to nursing your own baby. So there's that, like status is everything. I don't care what these other people say. I'm not nursing my own baby because I'm GQ. But aside from that, one of the other reasons was that sometimes women actually did work back then, especially ones whose husbands were lawyers or doctors or they owned a little shop. The wives would work with the husbands in the doctor's office or in the little shop that they had. And so sometimes they figured out that it was cheaper to hire the wet nurse than to lose wages because they were missing work to nurse the baby. So wet nursing was super popular in Europe in the 16th century. Everyone was sort of doing it if they could. But then, dun dun dun, dun 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 dun, attitudes changed. What do you think? What do you think happened next? Um, I would assume science. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Talk. Those are both science answers. What happened next was not so science. So this big shift came towards nursing your own baby. Because this French labor and delivery doctor of the time, keep in mind, we're using the word doctor somewhat loosely. It was the 16th century. Anyway, this labor and delivery doctor named Jacques Guillemot published this giant book that basically demonized wet nursing. And for good reason. Jacques believed that mothers should nurse their own babies or else their babies would pick up bad habits and bad health conditions from the wet nurses through the milk, and then the babies would then give those habits and bad health conditions to their birth parents. Jacques also believed that if you used a wet nurse, your baby would start to love the wet nurse more than they loved you. Jacques was also on point when he said that the milk of the wet nurses wasn't as good as your own milk, and that you should especially stay away from wet nurses with red hair because everybody knows wet nurses with red hair have bad tempers and the tempers get passed through the milk and goes to the baby. So yeah, he knew everything about everything and everyone listened to him in certain circles. The idea did catch on. So by 1793 in France, it became illegal to get welfare if you needed welfare, but you were not nursing your own baby. And then in 1794 in Germany, uh, breastfeeding became a legal requirement. Yay, Europe. So as you can see, Europe led the way in women's health. They showed us all how it should be done. Uh, meanwhile, in the rest of the world, uh, people didn't really listen to this. They kept wet nursing, even though suddenly it had become upper class to nurse your own baby. And that was because, you know, it was still a good option for all those reasons that we talked about before for a lot of women around the world. 
And you also still had women who simply could not nurse their own babies. So wet nursing really didn't go away with all of Jacques' expert opinion. It really didn't go away until around 1800 when the baby bottle was invented. And this was also around the same time of industrialization. So the bottles were being produced better, but also some bad things started to happen. The wet nurses quality standards started to slip. So you had people lying about their licenses or not registering. Maybe they were doing too many nighttime activities with their partners. Short version is babies started to get sick and babies started dying. So the baby bottles were, yeah, the baby bottles were a big deal. Um, what do you imagine those bottles looked like? The very, like these ones that came out in the 1800s? My first guess would be they'd have to be made out of wood because glassworking wasn't super common at the time. Uh, they were probably like, like tubs or bins of some sort with like a nipple mm -hmm. on the end. That would be my first guess. Yeah. What do you think, Faith? I was going to say, it couldn't have been uh, glass either, but um, like what kind of material would they use for the nipple because plastic works wasn't always that great, so they would have to use some kind of animal skin maybe? Yeah, so the bottles weren't great, especially by today's standards, but they were a whole lot better than these joke excuses for bottles that we had before then. So the oldest bottles were found in Europe. We believe they were made um, 3500 BC, but they were basically just boob-shaped clay pots, like what a dinosaur would use as a neti pot. It was like a round clay bowl-type shape with a spout. And then other ones were made from cow's horns. Some of them looked like little silver coffee pots. Some had a little sponge where you would think the nipple would go. And then that was how the baby would get the milk out of the bottle, if you want to call it that. Uh, my favorite was the pap boat. Who wants to guess what a pap boat is or was? Jesus. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll go with a pap boat is probably something that looks like a... Uh... I don't know, like a, a, a trough maybe with like a hole at the end? It Yeah, it was basically like a giant spoon with a hollow stem. You would put one end in the baby's mouth and then you would pour the milk down the tube and blow the milk into the baby's throat. And this is what passed for baby bottles before 1800. Um, as you can imagine... They were not very good. They weren't very clean. They didn't work very well. This is how we rolled back then. Um, but with modern times and with the industrial age, it became easier to clean the bottles, to build the bottles, to make it so that the bottles were a little bit better. So we're moving up through history. Now we have wet nursing basically gone and we have bottles. So whether women are managing breast milk because they're choosing not to nurse their baby or because they cannot nurse their babies, it seems like we came upon a time where it was becoming easier and we were having more tools 
to give the babies breast milk. So what do you think we did next with our infinite scientific knowledge? Created formula? Yes. That's exactly what we did. What what all have you what all have you heard about baby formula? Well, in my family, we don't really use it mm-hmm. for the first couple years because it's really it's not normal. <laughs> Ooh. Mix a powder with the water, especially since water is toxic to a baby in the first couple months. So you're giving the baby water still. <laughs> so my, my family, we normally don't use that in the first few months. It's kind of dangerous because if you don't mix it right, it will make the baby even worse. So. I want to hear more about this not normal. What? <laughs> Whoa, I just heard robot noises. Are you two fighting over there? What just happened? I was going to ask you more about the water being toxic for the baby and it not being normal to mix the water in the powder to make the milk for the babies. Well, my, I had my grandmother and my great-grandmother, they were midwives. Mm-hmm. So they normally spread all the knowledge about taking care of babies and birthing them and water was a huge no I'm not exactly sure what happened but um, every doctor that I've met with for my nieces and nephews said it's toxic to babies so when you make formula you have to mix it with water if you don't mix it properly it could cause a lot of problems for the baby (laughs) we're about to go so okay so there are a lot of things in there. Let's unpack this a little bit. So you said the formula doesn't seem normal. Like the idea of mixing the water with the formula to make the milk, that just that seems not normal. And then you mentioned that the water is bad for the baby. Yeah, the it's a specified amount, and I forget what it is that a baby could have. But like we normally go a first couple months without giving a baby a, a whole bunch of water. It's normally just breast milk. And uh, once they get through their rounds of shots and a doctor okays it, then we give them water, but my grandma wouldn't do it at all. She had a Native American background. My great-grandmother was full-blooded Apache. So, of course, that was a cultural thing there. They breastfeeding the whole nine yards. But, like, my grandmother went a really long time without giving the baby water. I think it's always so interesting to hear how people make decisions about what they think is healthy and what they think is safe. You mentioned that there were some cultural components. I've read pieces where people are concerned that African-American people or black people, black women, breastfeed at a lower rate than other women. And I've heard arguments that part of the reason might have to do with the fact that enslaved women were at one point used to nurse the babies of the owners and that there was a level of disgust to be forced to nurse someone else's baby and that that sort of got passed down through the generations and that maybe that's part of a psychological component to why black women might be less likely to nurse their babies. But here you're talking about you know, women being more likely to nurse their babies based on other psychological or cultural in, impacts. 
So it's it's really cool. I know we went off topic a little bit, but can I can I answer? Sheesh. <laughs> Are you feeling I, left I out? I am feeling left out. I, I don't think, though, that it makes sense ever to uh, create a powdered drink for the nourishment of people. Like, you know, protein shakes are one thing, but I think that the idea of you can get nourishment out of a can of powder just doesn't sit right with me. Well, I disagree. What an astronaut supposed to have? <laughs> that's, that's not, that's not a, a, a tr- given a, a, a choice yeah. option. That's a, a, like, you can't take thing, liquids into space because of the nature of zero gravity. That's not necessarily a, like, a, a, a choice. You know? Well, going back to being more on topic with babies, if you have a <laughs> premature baby, like my brother was, he's, he was too small to even try and nurse. So they mixed the powder and they gave it to him <laughs> so that he could have nourishment. So in those cases, it's kind of necessary to actually have a backup plan for when a mother can't nurse or when a baby is too small to latch on to it. Yeah. Backup plan, yeah. not a primary. I get it, but in, in some cases, I'm kind of glad that there is a powder. But for me, if a woman is healthy, she should bless yeah, so I guess what women should and shouldn't do might be a topic for a different uh, <laughs> different episode. But with this, uh, with the formula stuff, it was originally meant to be for babies who were too sick or too small to nurse or because their moms could not nurse them. It was originally made of powdered animal milk that chemists made. Starting in the mid-1800s, we started figuring out how to make powdered milk or powdered formulas to give to the babies instead of breast milk if they couldn't get breast milk. And in order to discover that, they basically looked at the chemistry of breast milk, given the tools that they had at the time, and just tried to find other animals whose milk was similar enough to human milk. And once they found that, They added malt flour, wheat, and potassium bicarbonate. And so this this went well, I guess, to the point where by the 1880s, there were 27 different brands of baby formula. The problem was they had a lot of extra sugar and they had no added proteins, they had no added vitamins, so they were not at all a close match to human breast milk. And then baby started getting sick again from this time from drinking out of dirty bottles. Maybe the milk was spoiled. People were leaving it out. Baby started getting sick and dying. So by the 1930s and 40s, we figured out better ways to sterilize the containers that we keep the formula in. And then the nipple technology improved and it became easier to keep the nipples clean. And then safety standards for dairy farming improved. And since cow's milk was the main milk being used to make formula, that meant that baby formula improved. And so doctors started really getting on board with recommending baby formula, again, for the babies who were too sick or who couldn't nurse. And at the time, the main, the main option in terms of formula was a kind of unsweetened condensed milk, 
you may have heard it called evaporated milk, but it's, it's still not very much like breast milk. Um, and then eventually we started making non-dairy versions for babies who could not tolerate dairy milk, and it was made from soy. And that may sound like an improvement, but they still were not adding any of the extra nutrients that the babies were missing by not getting uh, human breast milk. Of course, that did not stop these formula companies from advertising directly to doctors to try to get them behind this idea of giving baby formula to more babies. And in developing countries, they went so far as advertising directly to consumers. What do you think happened to breastfeeding rates as this was happening? They declined. There were efforts to try and get moms who could breastfeed to breastfeed again, to give their babies their breast milk. Um, one example was the National Council of Churches Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility. And that was a, yeah, that face you just made. It was a thing. It was part of an effort to try and get women to breastfeed their babies. Um, another group was called the Infant Formula Action Coalition. So groups like these were running campaigns to try and get moms breastfeeding again. But by the late 1980s, formula companies started advertising directly to consumers. So all the work that these organizations did and all the gains that they made with trying to bring breastfeeding rates back up was basically wiped away. Rates started to fall again. But by this time, the doctors were all, you know what, no. This does not pass the smell test. Baby formula does not appear to be as nutritious as you all are claiming it is. And it's certainly not nutritious enough for us to be recommending it to our patients willy-nilly. We should only be using this in emergencies for babies who are sick. We also have a problem with the fact that you all keep raising the price of formula. So our patients have to spend more money to buy formula instead of nursing their babies with their own breast milk. Does it surprise you that doctors are on record and hospitals are on record sort of taking that stance against the formula companies? No. I'm just saying, I, I can understand when certain people do that, but what did they do to, like, steps did they take to inform the public? Well, what they did was they worked with the Food and Drug Administration to fight for what's called the Infant Formula Act of 1980. And that basically gave the FDA power to enforce quality control for a baby formula. So a lot of people may think that doctors and hospitals are just in the pocket of companies that make baby formula, but they actually did fight really hard to make it so that today, baby formula has to have all the same nutrients that breast milk has. So if you're giving your baby formula instead of breast milk, the nutrition is identical to breast milk. That's not to say that the antibodies are the same. The formula still does not have antibodies. And there's all sorts of debate about other reasons why breast milk would be better than uh, formula. 
especially when we consider sometimes babies have a hard time digesting formula. And for some kids, there may be links between baby formula and certain types of allergies, diabetes, and obesity. But one of the things I think is most interesting is that the baby formula doesn't change over time the way that the breast milk does. And so that's another thing to consider in terms of deciding whether formula is an appropriate choice for you or for your baby. So for this reason, as you might imagine, and as you've probably heard on the YouTubes and the Facebooks, breast milk is still considered the best option for feeding the baby. If you can give the baby breast milk, these are the reasons why it's still considered the best thing to do to feed your baby. And so given that, now we have bottles. Now we have education about breast milk. We still have formula, but given the fact that now more people might be considering breastfeeding in our modern world, if you had to guess, when do you reckon breast pumps came on the scene? Like 1997, 98. William H., do you have a guess? I'm going to give uh, the, the early computer age, so late 70s, early 80s. So the first ones, assuming that you two are not cheating and using Google while my back mm -hmm. is turned, the first pumps actually came about and got patents in the 1800s, the mid-1800s. However, when they first came out, they were designed as medical devices used to treat inverted nipples. And when they weren't being used to treat inverted nipples, that's when they were used to try and nurse the babies in the hospital who were too small or too weak to nurse by the breast. I can show you some pictures, but these, these pumps basically looked like the same pumps that you would put on a dairy cow. There was like tubes and there were no control settings. It was just a pump that sort of violently suctioned milk out of the breasts. Around 1991, whose guess was closer? Did one of you say 96? All right now, 1991, we figured out that maybe if we change the way that the pump works so that the vacuum will create a pulsing action, then that will be more like what a mother would experience while nursing a baby. So it makes the experience less traumatic to the breast, less painful to the breast. And it makes it so that maybe people are more, more comfortable with the idea of using pumps. So that was a major improvement. Um, but the main thing that pumps brought to the table once people really started using them is that pumps helped to separate breast milk from the breast. Before that time, if you wanted breast milk, there had to be a breast. Now that we have pumps, you can essentially have milk ready for times when your baby needs to eat, but you're not with the baby. So maybe the baby spends the day with their grandparents or spends the day with their dad, or maybe the mom has gone back to work, or maybe she wants to pump and dump so that she can drink at her sister's wedding this weekend, or maybe she's worried. People are going to give her shit if she whips her tea out in public to feed her baby and now she has the option to use a bottle because she can pump. Um, some women just consider this option to save time. It can take 
up to four hours a day to nurse a baby with the breast. But by comparison, pumping takes about 15 minutes for every six ounces. So in theory, that's about one hour and 15 minutes per day if you're pumping. So it helps, helps women be able to have more options and more flexibility. What we need to talk about now as we start to wrap up our conversation about breast milk is the liquid gold market. Who wants to guess what that is? Selling breast milk. <laughs> That's part of it. All right. We're in William H's wheelhouse now. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is all you, buddy. For the ambrosia. It's wonderful. Okay. So we talked about bottles and pumping and separating the milk from the breast. As you can imagine, that has basically put us in a position where breast milk can now be treated as a product, which means it can be traded, it can be shared, it can be donated, it can be sold. So uh, what used to happen was the main way that you would get breast milk, if you weren't yourself nursing, is you would have to use a milk bank um, and the milk bank basically works with the hospital in order to provide donated milk uh, for sick babies. And so I guess if you're William H. and you're working with a milk bank, somehow you would steal some breast milk from the bank that was meant for the sick babies. That was what you were reduced to back in the day. Uh, but now we do have what's called this liquid gold market. And... Uh, Basically, anyone can share or sell their breast milk. Put that pin down. I can see you were Skyping. I see the pin in your hand. Yeah, put that down. <laughs> okay. Um, so like I said, anyone can buy or sell breast milk. And this can happen in person where maybe you make arrangements to meet someone at a cafe to to meet and get the milk. Uh, this can also happen on the internet. But when it comes to selling breast milk, there are really no rules about who can buy it or who can sell it. And part of that is because breast milk is really tricky for the FDA to regulate. It's not really a food, it's not really a drug. It's, it is a body fluid, but it's not like blood. It's hard to figure out how to treat breast milk in order to try and regulate the liquid gold market. Hopefully someone will figure it out soon because it's not always sanitary and it's not always shipped in conditions that are safe. Um, but while they're figuring that out, we do still have this situation where anyone can buy or sell breast milk, including men. And some people actually think that the breast milk helps to treat certain illnesses like immune disorders. And so people like that might want to buy milk or breast milk. So William H., I'm assuming based on everything that's happened so far, you have some experience with this. So I'm not gonna ask you to incriminate yourself or anything, but if you had to guess, guesses in air quotes, if you had to guess how much breast milk costs per ounce throw out a number that you that you think it might cost i have no idea but i would assume it would be similarly priced to something uh in this in the illegal market so i guess i don't know like ten dollars an ounce or something 
Ooh, Faith. Faith, watch out. You you keep an eye on him this weekend. So the price is about a dollar to two dollars and fifty cents per ounce. A six-month baby takes about 30 ounces of breast milk per day. So if you're buying milk in order to feed your baby, and if you buy it at the rate of $1 per ounce, you could expect to spend about $30 per day. Now, let's say you're the mother who has all this extra milk to sell. If you crank out 30 ounces per day and sell that milk at the high end of the price, that $2.50 per ounce, you stand to make a cool $27,000 per year selling liquid gold. How do you like them apples? Still doesn't make me want to get pregnant right away. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a whole nother episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if you're not going to get pregnant anytime soon, and let's just say hypothetically, for some reason, you two are looking for breast milk. There are websites that can help you. Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to go to Craigslist or anything like that. Uh, but there are actually some fairly large websites. One of them is called Only the Breast. One of them is called Milk Shares, and uh, they basically just connect buyers with sellers. Some of them will provide some education about breast milk scams because there are breast milk scams. Some of them provide uh, what you might call a boutique experience. So if you want breast milk for your baby from a mother who does not eat gluten or from a mother who is vegan or from a mother who only eats organic food, you can use a website like these to sort of shop around and find the breast milk that you want based on what you believe about the mother who's donating or who's selling the milk. These options are available. Now, what if you are interested in milk sharing, but you don't like the idea of buying and selling? Well, there are also options to use websites that are run by volunteer groups to connect people who want to donate milk with people who need or want milk donations. And so one of those is called Human Milk for Human Babies, and the other one is called Eats on Feats. And that is supposed to be a play on Meals on Wheels, but I don't, I don't understand the reference. That's neither here nor there. Uh, the point is, these options are out there. So it would sound like these these options are gonna put the milk banks out of business, wouldn't it? I mean, do you think that we would still have milk banks in light of all these new options for people to get breast milk? I mean, I would imagine that any anything, that any business that has a primary market, i.e. the milk bank, uh, would have a darker secondary. It is true that the milk bank industry is expecting to experience a shortage of women who are interested in donating their milk to the milk bank in order to supply hospitals. However, the story is even more juicy than what you think. Unintended. It is now. <laughs> so, uh, 
When it comes to these milk banks, they do still exist. Most of them are nonprofit and they spend a ton of money on screening the women who are donating the milk to make sure that there are no drugs in the milk, to make sure that there are no diseases in the milk that can be passed to the babies. They pasteurize the milk. They test the milk to make sure that the milk is really human breast milk because apparently back in the day when this all first got really organized, women who donated milk to milk banks were paid and so some of them started to cut their breast milk with dairy milk in order to make more money. So now we have more safety measures to make sure that that's not happening. Uh, the milk banks are still around and they are still doing all these extra safety measures that the volunteer groups and the, the boutique milk websites are not doing. No one else is going to complete the same safety measure steps as the, the milk bank. If you want the safest breast milk, the milk bank is still your place to go. But as William H. alluded to, milk banks potentially are a business. I said before that most of the milk banks are nonprofit, but there is such a thing as a for-profit milk bank. And they will do things like add extra, extra nutrients to the breast milk that was donated to them. And then they will sell that milk at a much higher price because they essentially made it better. So one group called um, Prolacta does this. They charge about $135 per baby per day to hospitals who use their special enhanced milk. And I don't know that we would ever know what was actually added beyond a certain point because they're a company and they would have some power to keep that secret as, as they do with trade secrets or with proprietary types of products. How much do you think the nonprofit milk banks sell their milk for per ounce? I'd say probably more than the for-profit. You think the nonprofit charges more than the for-profit? I would think so. Probably not like significantly more. Probably slightly more. Why do you why do you think the nonprofit would charge more than the for profit? I'm gonna go with the uh, for profit charges more, but the nonprofit offers a much more limited quantity, so thus it causes more of a uh, demand for the profit margin. Yeah. The nonprofit milk banks charge a little bit more than these websites charge on average. So we said before that if you wanted to buy milk on a website from a total stranger, that would cost at the most an average of $2.50. We said that if you went with the for-profit option, that is four and a half dollars per ounce, the nonprofits charge about $4 per ounce. So it's expensive all around, depending on your budget. Um, but you know, at the at the very least, we've explored a wide range of parts of the world of breast milk. What do you all think about all this? Was there was there anything that really surprised you or that stood out? And the question is mainly what are the differences? Like, for example, does a six-month-old breast milk 
pace differently than a nine month or nine year? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we've been sort of skirting around this since we started and we're pretty much done here. So I think now might be a good time. Uh, What is your motivation around the breast milk, William Um, H.? Yeah, it's just, it's like anything else. I mean, everyone has this, their thing, you know, that they're into. Me personally, I, there was, I had an experience with a girl who had freshly had a child and I was not expecting the breast milk, but it happened and I just happened to like the taste of it. And that's when it kind of started from there. When you tasted the breast milk, how old was the baby? Uh, kind of like three months, maybe. So that wasn't even the sweetest version. I will tell you that if you decide that you have a problem and you want to get off breast milk, there are breast milk anonymous group. No, I just made that up. I, I don't know that there's anything like that. I think this is a good place to end this. So uh, I want to thank you both for being part of the podcast today. So, there you have it. It turns out that if we've achieved nothing else, we've now established more options for feeding babies than we have ever had before. And for better or worse, that's probably good news to a lot of babies. Right about now though, you may still be scratching your head about that water in the baby formula stuff. Well, scratch no more. It is true that new babies should not drink too much water because drinking too much water can give them diarrhea and can interfere with how their bodies process nutrients. And this is true even though breast milk is itself 80% water. The water in breast milk is fine, but where the trouble starts is if a baby gets too much water on top of the normal amount they should get from drinking breast milk. And this is what Faith was talking about when she said that the water in formula can hurt the baby if it is not mixed properly. Also, in case all those mentions of ambrosia weren't lost on you, Or if you're just curious what on earth we were talking about, you might like to know that in Greek and Roman mythology, ambrosia describes what's thought of as the food of the gods. So even though William was joking around when he said that ambrosia was in breast milk, he kind of makes a good point when you think about it. At any rate, we're pretty sure it still doesn't give you immortality, so better luck next time. Anyway, that's all for now. Stay tuned, everybody. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Health Science for the rest of us. If you like what you heard, be a pal and spread the love by sharing this podcast with a friend. If you're not sure how or if your friend just needs some help, You can both get some quick tips from our fun YouTube tutorial. Just tap on the link in the show notes from this episode. To learn more about the show in general, or to see some pretty hilarious health memes and videos, 
stop by our website at healthscienceforeveryone.com. We're also on Facebook in the group section and on Twitter under the name Health Science Podcast. That's all one word. For a limited time, Health Science for the rest of us listeners can save 20% on all NZT products at my online store by entering the promo code DARK42 Tower Beam Sunshine Strain. No, no, no. I told you we're not doing that. My apologies. www.irisspecialtystoreforthingshumansbyclairhealth.com Iris! Sorry. I'm hitting the button now. Is that how my voice sounds?